there is hope ahead. Even though you must endure many trials, there's hope. Trials are hard, but they show you that your faith is real. Your faith is being forged as fire tests and purifies gold. Your faith, more precious than gold, is being forged through these trials so that at the coming of Jesus Christ, greater praise, glory, and honor will be given to him. There is hope in trials, for in every trial, your faith is being forged. Well, good morning, friends. How are we all doing this morning? Um, cue, cue video, cue sermon bumper. A cue forging fire, a cue or cue guy hammering, um, hammering steel. Cue First Peter chapter one verse five. If you remember the bumper from last week, we read this. This was read over us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To this, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. If you agree, say amen. amen. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for you, Lord God, to speak to us through the proclamation of your word. Father, whatever is said and done in this room, whatever does happen, whatever doesn't happen, Father, is done, is, is according to your sovereign forging will. Father, we've come to hear from you expectantly, realizing, Lord God, that your word is sharp, it is powerful, uh, Lord, it has the power to pierce even between joint and marrow. It is the very thing that transforms us and indeed forges us into your image. So, Lord God... May it be done in this place this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, Amen. Amen. Forged. In 1925, in the wake of World War I, modernist writer T.S. Eliot wrote a now famous poem. This poem filled with dim reflections of the meaninglessness and despairing state of humanity. We actually look over this poem in our Life to the Nth class. The poem is titled by its opening line, The Hollow Men. He writes, We are hollow men. We are stuffed men. Leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass. We are hollow men. We are stuffed men, merely leaning together. Friends, have you ever, have you ever kind of paused, stopped, drawn back As you've gazed your eyes upon masses of humanity, have you ever paused and thought similar thoughts? I grew up in Altoona. I've now spent more time in Lancaster, Pennsylvania than I did in Altoona. And in light of this particular thought, I will never forget my time in Chicago for graduate school surrounded by seas of people. I remember looking out, at my, out of the dorm room in which I would stay on the weeks that I was there, and people, people everywhere. Anyone here get caught up in people watching? Anyone? Any, any people watchers in the room? Anyone? Anyone? Come on, this is like a pastime for some of y'all. 
I hear you. you. Like you make up stories about them as they walk by. You have their life all figured out. You, you, am, I, am I the only one? The crowds are all around. They're everywhere to be found. You'll find them in the mall splurging, at the gym bulking, at amusement parks indulging. And tomorrow, tomorrow bright and early, I will be an, at an airport watching the masses bustling around me with whatever purpose it is that they are driven for their travel. Wherever you go, the crowds are there to be found, and alas, the reality is, we are them. We are them. Have you ever looked at people in the crowds and wondered, who are they? Who are these people? Where are they going? What do they do? What are they trying to accomplish? What in the world is their purpose on this earth? You see, T.S. Eliot proposes this, doesn't matter. All the hustling and all the bustling and all the striving and all the indulging and all the bulking and all the purposefulness with which we strive, he simply says this, hollow men, stuffed people, leaning together, filled with straw, voices just fall to the ground as whispers. Y'all are just quiet and meaningless. You ever felt like wind in the grass? It does beg the question, have you ever felt hollow? Have you ever looked deep inside yourself and failed to find true substance? I don't think you're alone if you have. Have you ever gone about, have you ever gone about life feeling like you're just another number leaning into the crowd? In a sense, in a sense, as it pertains to T.S. Eliot, I believe we can all relate. Who hasn't felt hollow? Who hasn't yelled and, and felt as if your voice is dry and no one can hear? Whose yells haven't fallen as whispers quiet? Meaningless. In a sense, to say that we're all like dry grass blowing in the wind, um, Elliot couldn't be more right. But to say that it's all purposeless, to say that there's no meaning even in our hollowness, couldn't be further from the truth. The scriptures require, the, the gospel mandates that you and I think otherwise. But make no mistake, make no mistake, we are hollow. Make no mistake, in and of ourselves, we are, alas, merely people filled with straw, stuffed and needy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, which we will study in just a couple of weeks, says this. All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. Listen, listen, listen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but hear it. The word of God, the word of the Lord remains forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. We are hollow, and we are stuffed, but this emptiness within us... This void that is there, this space that longs to be filled, is a space reserved for the Spirit of God. Somebody say amen. You are hollow. You do have a void. And left in and of ourselves, we strive in and out of our lives, longing to fill this void. Hear this clearly. You see, if we are stuffed, if there is any straw within us, it is to be set ablaze by the radiant glory of God, which emanates through us by the power of the gospel. That's how it works. Oh, I'll take your stuffing, set it ablaze. I'll take your hollowness. That's where my God resides. Friends, here is the point. Here is the point of today's message. Here is the point of 1 Peter. God, indeed, as a blacksmith forges steel upon an anvil, so is our God forging us. We're being forged to the glory of God. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. 
But we have this treasure. We have, tell me if this sounds familiar. We have this treasure in hollow jars of clay. Oh, indeed, we are hollow men and women. We have this treasure in hollow jars of clay to show what? To show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. Do you see it? Our hollowness, our hollowness is the place where the glory of God is to reside. And how does that glory, how does that glory grow? How does the radiance shine through the cracks that are ours? Listen, he continues on, verse 8. For we are afflicted in every way. For we are afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. We are perplexed. But we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, he says. But we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always carrying in this body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest to the glory of God. May be manifest in our bodies to the glory of God. We are being forged to the glory of God. Every strike, every crack, that God's glory would shine through. You're being forged. And as we continue in our study of 1 Peter today, the theme of glory is going, to res- is going to resound. Six times in this letter, six times in this short five chapters, we're going to take a look at glory. And in this passage alone, in these eight verses today, we will see glory mentioned twice. It is the hinge pin of the forging process. This is why you're being forged, so the glory of God can shine through you. So here we go. Forged. Hollow. Glory filled. If you're ready to endure the forging process that God's glory may shine through you, just say, let's go. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you know the context. The great apostle Peter wasn't always the great apostle Peter. At one time, he was a dirty fisherman who was called by Jesus to drop his nets and to follow him that he might become fishers of men. From that time, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed the gospel to him that he is indeed the Messiah the chosen child of God, the one who came, lived the perfect life, died a painful death, suffered upon the cross, was buried and rose again three days later. Peter was forged over and over and over again from dirty fisherman to super apostle, if you will. A man called by God to fulfill the great commission. He went about making disciples, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And then, like the other apostles, what did he do? He wrote letters back to strengthen those churches which God had entrusted him to plant. Did he plant these churches in the region of Asia Minor? We do not know. But as an apostle, he still felt responsible. There is an actual lesson to be learned also in that. And so he writes these churches who he says are the elect exiles of the dispersion, acknowledging that they are indeed tired, acknowledging they are indeed weary, acknowledging that they are indeed sufferers, sojourners. As elect chosen children of God, as exiles of the dispersion, they are spiritual sojourners in this world. This world is not your home. And we learned very, very clearly that this title serves to cover and describe the church of Jesus Christ for all time. Are you an elect exile? If you are, say yes. Are you an elect exile? Scattered about the earth. Question, are you tired? Do you have moments when you're weary? Do you have a sense that things are pressing in upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a sense? Do you have a sense of that? If you do, this is what Peter writes to you. Verse 3. Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's resurrected us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Not only this, it's being kept in heaven for you, and you, you, you're being kept by God's power. You are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, in this, in this truth, in this reality, you can rejoice. Listen, you can rejoice even though now for a little while, even while it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, even though you are being forged for this season. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're being forged for his glory. Verse 8 now says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are being forged to the glory of God from beginning to end. From the moment you are born until you take your last breath, you are being forged to the glory of God. But God's forging ultimately for his glory. That first strike of the Holy Spirit's anvil really takes hold of you, not at your first birth, but at your second. You see, this forging process, this forging process which leads to the glory of God begins with this. You've been reborn for his glory. You have been reborn for his glory. Look at the text. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. But before Peter gets to that, I love how he starts this passage. I love how he starts this letter. After saying hello, after greeting the churches in this region of Asia Minor, by acknowledging their suffering as elect exiles of the dysphoria, look at what he does. Look at what he says. Despite all that they are going through, Look up. No, no, for real, look up. Now look all the way up. Now look down. Keep your head down. When life is hard, your head goes down. When life is hard, your head goes down. Look up, look at me, look at me. When life gets hard, your head goes down. I woke up this morning and I didn't feel like awesome. And I got this little tickle back here. I'll stay back. No, I won't. I actually won't. I better. And when I felt that kind of like tickle here and like my shoulders immediately like slumped. And I didn't feel that normal boost of energy that I feel on a Sunday morning. There was something else physically like, Lord, really, really, really this morning. Like, I'm telling you, when things don't go your way, it is so much easier to slump your shoulders and start kicking rocks on your way to whatever it is, wherever it is you're going. And what I love about what Peter does here is this. It's simple, simple, simple. Look up. You got stuff that's going that you don't like? Look up. You got stuff going on in your life that you can't control. You got to look up. Look at what he does. He doesn't focus on the trial. First words out of his mouth are this. Even though he's already acknowledged that things aren't great amongst them, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless God. Bless God. When things get low, you got to look up. And I don't want this to be cliche. I don't, want this, I don't want this just to hang as a bumper sticker. But there is a reality at play here that we as followers of Jesus Christ need to get our heads around. We don't make it through trials by focusing on the trial alone. You don't get through the trial by merely solving the trial. You certainly don't get forged if you're the one who's figuring it all out. The lower we get, the higher we've got to look. We don't get through trials by pouting and kicking rocks, but through biblical lament. B, 
Biblical lament indeed leads to true and honest praise. Look at the text. Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is showing us that the key to every battle is to bless the Lord. When the enemy comes on, bless the Lord. When the, when, when the adversary gives the blow, bless the Lord. When, 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 the, when the... Fill in the blank. Worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. Worship is always, always, always your weapon. Hear me. Lament is worship. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. This is not porcelain smile. Come in, skipping into church, always having the happy voice, always hooping, always hollering. Think about it. Read your Psalms. Look at but 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 you. Lament, though, is, is, it's, it's not a destination where you are to live forever, but it is indeed a, a season which all of us have to pass through, sometimes days, sometimes hours, literally sometimes minutes. Read the Psalms. David will start a psalm beginning with a lament, and by the end of the psalm, he actually is clapping his hands and praising God. Why? Because God has to hear from you what's happening in your heart. Tell the Lord what you are struggling with. And here, as you lay your struggle on the anvil, the Holy Spirit actually, you see, it's not like, hey, keep looking up. Hey, if you want to get through this, you better act happy. If you want people to perceive you as a, cru- a, cru- a true Christian, you wouldn't want to look glum. Wor- worship is your weapon. And I'm telling you, worship in seasons of despair and worship in seasons of lament are amongst the most purest seasons of worship you'll ever have in your life. When you can bless God low, oh, the explosive times that will come when you're able to worship him from a high place. Psalm 27, Psalm 27, verse 6, and now my head, now may my head be lifted up. Now may my head be lifted up. Look up above. Maybe may it look up above my enemies. My enemies are going to be there. But I got to get my head up over the head of my enemies for they are all around me. And there what will I do? I will offer I will offer in his tent sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord for worship is our weapon even when we're surrounded by that which could Take us out. And so he calls the weary church. He calls the weary church to get their eyes on Jesus. He calls the weary church to get their eyes on God, the Father, the one who rescued them from their hollow state. Listen, when we were straw-filled, we were dead men walking. We were dead women walking. When we were meaningless, if you will, Jesus showed up. You see, not only does Peter get our eyes up, he gives us truth that reminds us, that reminds us that we are essentially spiritually invincible. He doesn't just say lift your eyes up. He gives you a reason to lift your eyes up. He doesn't just come and bring a, like a, a, a big smile sermon and say, hey, come on. If in the midst of despair, you're going to challenge someone to get their eyes up, if you're going to challenge someone to lament to the place of joy, to lament to the place of praise, then you have to deliver with that admonition some kind of objective truth that, pro- that propels them there. And that's exactly what Peter does. Look. Look at the truth. Why can we bless the Lord despite our circumstances? Because no matter how hard life gets, it will never be worse than when you first began. <laughs> no matter how hard life gets, it'll never be worse than being dead. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says this, before, before, before Jesus rescued you, before you were reborn, listen, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following, you were following the prince and the power of the air. You may have felt better, but trust me, your destination was much worse. You may have thought like you were okay, but listen, listen. You were following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all were among those who we all were among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. That's not good. Like the rest of mankind. But listen, listen, but God, but God, but God. Say but God. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Say amen. And then he raised you up with him and seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, watch, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You were reborn for his glory. And then in the midst of your rebirth, the forging process has begun. And continues to unfold so that ultimately, look at the end of that passage, that you might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That's glory, friends. Worship is the natural overflow of this new life. Why? Because you have literally been born again to a living hope. You, according to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope. That's worship. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you now have shouts of praise. If you, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. You were therefore buried with Christ by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, do you see it? By the glory, by the glory of the Father. Now we too may walk in the newness of life. We too may walk as a radiant, as a radiant gleaming beam of of this new reality that now this hollowness that was there is now filled. This straw that once was here has now been lit ablaze. We now are walking spiritual Roman candles unto the Lord. Because Jesus rose and because Jesus lives, look, we have a living hope. We have the assurance of being resurrected because Jesus was resurrected. Look, Jesus is our hope. When you talk about hope, when you talk about that, what is the hope to come, I don't want you to talk about what. I want you to talk about who. Who is your hope? Say his name. Jesus. Who is your hope? Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Heaven in and of itself is not your hope. Heaven in and of itself is not your inheritance. Heaven shall be heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our source of hope. Jesus is our object of hope. Jesus is our assurance of hope. Jesus is our living hope. Because Jesus lived, you shall live for all of eternity. You may die a physical death, but you will never cease to exist from this moment forward. That goes for every person in this room. It just depends on if you, if you will live on in the presence of Jesus or banned from his presence. We are eternal beings. But we have a living hope. We have a living hope. It's a person. Because Jesus raised, we have an inheritance, the text says. Look at it. We have an inheritance. What is our inheritance? No, 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 no. Not what, who. Who? Our inheritance indeed is this hope. What is our inheritance? Being with our hope. Our only hope is being with Jesus forever. Say amen. If you could, John Piper posed this question. If you could get to heaven and the streets of gold were there and the gates were just as pearly as he said, I'm paraphrasing, and all of the things that you've been told about heaven were there and Jesus was not, would you still want to go?
Let's not rush past that question. Because everything inside you knows the answer is no. But the example of a lot of our lives is actually answering yes. Because we're willing to live our lives on this side of heaven without seeking the presence of the Lord. We have a living hope. We have a living hope. And what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. When Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, he was able to say so because the reigning king was present. Wherever the, the kingdom is wherever the king resides. Heaven is wherever, wherever the majesty of God resides. We have a living hope. We have a living hope. We have this inheritance. It's not streets of gold and pearly gates. It is Jesus. Heaven is Jesus. Heaven is about Jesus. Listen, and what do we know about this inheritance? How sure can we be that one day we will be in the presence of Jesus? Look at what he says. This inheritance, it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It is actually kept in heaven for you. Verse 4, it is imperishable, meaning there is no expiration date. You can't lose. You can't lose your salvation. You can't lose the assurance that one day you shall be with Jesus forever. This inheritance is undefiled. It is untarnishable. I think that's a word I just made up. You can't tarnish this. It's undefiled. Listen, every sin you've ever, ever committed has been forgiven. You cannot take any sins with you into heaven. There will be no shame in heaven. Jesus suffered, bled, and died so that when heaven come, when it is time, when the day of his appearing is here, it will all be done. There will be no more cleansing to be done in your life. You have been cleansed. Past, present, future. Jesus returns today. Hear me. It is imperishable and you are sitting here undefiled. That should cause you to just burst in glorious praise. You know what you're thinking about right now. You know what you did on the way to church today. You know what you hope to do later. And you can still sit here and have an inheritance that is undefiled? Are you kidding me? What glorious grace. Why? Because, because you're dead. Because the old you is dead. Because the old you is dead and you've been reborn to the glory of God. Jesus suffered on the cross as if, you, as if he lived your sin-filled life so that now God the Father can look on you as if you lived his. It's a glorious doctrine of the substitution. It's imperishable. It is undefiled. Hear this. It is unfading. It won't diminish. It won't diminish. There will be no lesser glory. Glory does not have a half-life. There is no diminishing to it. There's no more, there's no less. Just glory, majesty, overwhelmness. You don't need to rush to get there, but you need not tarry along the way. There's plenty of glory to go around. It's just as glorious in heaven now as it will be on the day of his returning, as it will be a thousand years from now. But notice this. I, this is my favorite part about this inheritance, verse 5. God, the Father, is guarding you himself. Who by God's power, who by God's power you're being guarded. You're being guarded through faith. This is why faith can't be in and of ourselves. That's why faith is a gift of God. God has given you a measure of faith that you will not lose. This is your perseverance. The faith of God resident within you. God's power, you are, through God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation. Look, that will be revealed in the last time. You have all the faith you need to save you, but when Jesus returns, you will understand and experience the fullness of your faith. If you have moments of doubt, hear me, the day is coming when you experience your faith full. 
When Jesus returns, your, your faith in and of today is being guarded by the power of God, but will be fully revealed on the moment Christ returns. I cannot wait for that day when all of my doubts are removed. Jesus, come. No matter what happens on earth, God has your soul guarded and secure. No matter what happens on earth, God has your soul guarded and secure. No matter what happens on earth, we know that everything is done with a purpose and for a purpose. It is so that his glory will shine through you. When we understand this, it changes everything. It will all be revealed. It will all be realized when Jesus returns. Whatever doesn't make sense, hold on to this hope. Hold on with faith, believing that when Jesus returns, it will all make sense. Again, 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 Peter's saying this. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Because when Jesus returns, it will all be made right. When Jesus returns, it will all make sense. When Jesus returns, your full faith will be revealed. When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, don't look upon your enemies. Look upon the Lord. He's got you. Lament your way to praise if you must, but bless the name of the Lord. It will cause your neighbor to just shake their head and be like, what is your deal? How are you enduring this? How are you able to still praise God? Do you, you, you ever read of Job's friends? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Listen, listen, don't fear. Don't look upon your enemies. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot... Fear this, who cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy. Revere him, honor him, worship him, stand in awe of him who can destroy both your soul and your body. But know this, even though he can, he instead is preserving your soul. That is awesome. You see, you've been reborn for his glory. Now, number two, Peter says, now in light of this truth, now we can talk about your refining. In light of the fact that you are held in heaven, the fact that you are protected forever, the fact that God has given you the faith to be reborn, now in light of this truth, we can begin to talk about what actually is happening on that anvil. You've been, you're being refined for his glory. Look at verse 6. He says, in this. The word in this is alluding to everything you and I just covered together in the first, the first five verses. In this, in light of your rebirth, in this, in light of your faith, in this, in light of your inheritance, in this, in light of the fact that it's unfading, undefiled, and un imperishable, in light of your salvation being guarded, look, 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 in light of this glorious truth, now you can rejoice. Now you can rejoice, even though, even though for a little while, If necessary, and it is, you have been grieved by various trials. That in so doing, you shall be tested. The, you shall be tested. The genuineness of your faith shall be tested and to be found more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Notice how Peter describes trials. This is really helpful for us. In this one little verse, this one short sentence, he really lays out. We said last week we have a horrible theology of suffering. We have a holy, we have a really bad, we have a really bad theology of trials. But look at what he says. Know this about trials. The first thing we want you to know is this: trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. He says, though for a little while, though for a little while, though for a little while. Uh, right now I hear my mother's voice saying this, jury. This too shall pass, right? This too shall pass. This too shall pass. This. Maybe. Let's be honest. Some of you, some of us are, and some of us will endure lifelong trials. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Really, though? This is a terminal illness, Pastor. 
This separation is binding and forever, Pastor. Aren't there certain trials and sufferings that like, just don't pass? Yeah. On this side of heaven, that's true. But I think what Peter has in view here is the brevity of this life. This life is only a little while. This life is only a little while. I mean, you're going to have these short, these like quick hits of trial. You're going to have these seasons of trial in life that come and go. And then indeed, we are going to have lifelong trials. So whether it's a hit, whether it's a season, whether it's a lifelong deal, whatever it is, this too actually will pass. You will not live this way forever. The trial that you are enduring right now will not be taken with you into eternity. That's the point. It's all going to be made right. And so even though you may be forged each and every day, when you wake up to the same reality like Groundhog Day again here I am in my lament and my suffering hear me not forever not forever not forever and every day that you're able to bless the Lord even in the midst of your trial even in the midst of your lament you are, you are, you are indeed securing crowns which you will lay at the feet of Jesus in heaven where greater glory will be offered unto him this is our charge as true believers in Jesus Christ when we say this too shall pass let's just understand what we mean When we give quick Christian anecdotes and we speak in spiritualized hyperbole, understand God may be calling that person to endure the trial much longer than you're encouraging them, much longer than you think they will. In a sense, true faith says with every trial that comes our way, God, if this is forever, then it's your will. If that's your will, you'll give me the strength to endure it. It's temporary. It's also purposeful. Trials are purposeful. That's why, that's why we can endure them. He says, as necessary, nothing is never for nothing. That's like a triple negative, I think. Nothing is never for nothing. Nothing is never for nothing. God never wastes an experience. God will never waste an experience. Nothing is never for nothing. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing is happenstance. Everything, everything is, he says, as necessary, you will endure trials. Trials are temporary. Trials are purposeful. Now this, trials are hard. He says that you may be grieved. Tears, tears and grief are not weakness. Celebration and grief come from the same place. They come from a deep heart of love. They come from a deep, when you are lamenting, when you are grieving, what are you doing? It's an expression of love. The more deeply you grieve, the, 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 the stronger the depth of your love was for that thing which you've lost, that one whom you've lost. Trials are temporary. They're purposeful. They're, they're hard. They're hard. They're hard. You're not supposed to fake your way through them. Indeed, the church is supposed to hold each other up as we go. Now this, they're varied. Trials are varied. He says various trials. Think multicolored. Think trials come in all kinds of shapes and forms. In view here is this, this kind of broader word of tribulations, persecution, even temptations are in view here. But let's be clear. Uh, let's be clear. James chapter 1, verse 13, God tempts no man, but that which is meant for evil, God means for good.
temporary, purposeful, hard, varied. Now this, they're refining. Trials are always refining. Trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. Trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. Do you believe what you say you believe? When we endure a trial, it is an opportunity to have our faith tested. It is an opportunity. Every trial is an opportunity. Every hardship is an opportunity. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God enables and allows us to be forged on this anvil, not for our failing, but for our proving. When you endure a trial, it is not for your failing, it is for your proving. And even if there is brokenness that comes in the trial, it is for your rebuild. When there's brokenness, even the brokenness is for your rebuild unto his glory. For indeed, there does need to be brokenness from time to time. There does need to be repentance because we find trials at the cost of our own sins. Has your faith ever been tested by fire? Like, really tested. Did you ever have the thing happen that you... Never thought you'd ever have to endure. The choice that was made that was 100% outside of your control. The physical diagnosis that you watched somebody else go through but now is yours. Friends, these forging moments, these faith-building moments, these tested by fire moments, they are, they actually are precious and they're few. Or we have trials regularly. <laughs> we endure hardship on the reg. But I'm talking about these moments where like it is fire. I'm talking about these moments when you have nothing, nowhere else to go. I'm talking about these moments where you do have to kind of get real with God and you have to admit, Lord, this is the one. This is not it. This is not, this is not. This is the last thing I would ever want to have to go through. I actually covet these moments for you, even though they're so hard. These are the moments where your faith is tested to the brink. Have you ever had a moment where your faith was tested to the brink? I've had a few of these in my life. Some I can talk about and others it's best that I don't. I came to Jesus because my grandparents picked me up and drove me to church every Sunday. I got on and off the school bus because the same man would wake me up and pick me up at my house every day and make sure I got on and off the bus safely. And um, a forging moment for me was one morning when he called me as, my, as he was my alarm clock every morning and when he didn't show up to take me to the bus. And I found my grandfather lifeless, laying outside of his garage. When I, at 16 years old, administered CPR to my grandfather with no response, that's, that's a forging moment. A man who introduced me to faith in his passing tested my faith in a way that had never been before. And if I embraced the faith that he introduced me to here, then I was going to need to pass through this fiery trial that is here. 
And if I was going to embrace the faith that he introduced me to here, I was going to need to pass through the fiery trial here so that that which I said I believed would be revealed. After seven years of longing to have a child, Robin and I um, were finally able to conceive our first. And at 20 weeks gestation, we go for our ultrasound to find out that our oldest, our first, had a congenital heart defect and they weren't sure if he would be born pink or blue. They weren't sure if he would need to be rushed off to surgery or not. And so uh, the rest of our time was spent in special, in special, special treatments. And I remember him being born and finally he was born pink. And I remember the season of forging and the fire was hot. And I remember um, having to go and have regular checkups and, and just waiting for this pending open heart surgery that was coming upon our infant. And I remember at eight weeks, at eight weeks, finally the time had come. And I remember the moment that I had to hand, I had to hand my son over to the nurse. And as I sat in the waiting room with my father and mother-in-law, I remember this, and Robin, I remember this strong sense coming over me, which is you've got to tell the Lord it's okay now. You need to tell the Lord you trust him before you know it's okay. Because if you wait till after everything's okay, you're going to miss the moment where your faith is actually forged. Like you've got to tell him it's okay now. You got to tell him you trust him now. You got to tell him on this side of the trial. You see, the passing of my grandfather, that was done. But this is a different thing. Like, this is a handing over. This is a, I don't know what's going to happen next. Is he going to come back okay or not? Is he going to make it or not? And I remember having this thought, Lord, I don't care if he has to wear a backpack for the rest of his life. Like, just bring him back to me. I don't care what has to happen, but I'm going to trust you regardless. You are good regardless. And I, and I, and I hesitate to share that, that illustration because I don't want to make it seem like I'm in this special place. I'm just telling you, when your faith is real, in these moments of forging, when the fire gets hot, God will give you the faith. He will give you the faith. And once you've endured a refining moment like that, this is why I coveted for you, you will live different. You will worship different. You will preach different. You will pray different. You will love different. You will go, you will wake up tomorrow different because you realize when faith is all you have and then you realize that faith really is all you needed all along, that this really is God's ancient way and he's still doing the same things for us today that he's done throughout all time, I'm telling you, glory, glory, glory emanates from your frame. You were born for this. You're being refined for this. And Peter says, now, now, and now we go, and now we go, and now we rejoice, and we rejoice in this glorious grace. We rejoice to the glory of God. Look at what he says. Though you have not seen him after this kind of a trial, though you have not seen him, get it up. He loved him anyway. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. Why? Because you saw what he's capable of doing when you actually lay your life down on the anvil. I don't have to see him. I saw what he did. I believe his word more because I experienced it to be true in my own life. You see how this works? Forged, forged. You want to pray for God for a stronger faith? Get on the anvil. Expect it. It's coming. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have, you have not seen him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. Obtain until you obtain the outcome of your faith. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This forging, this faith is indeed bringing about an objective assurance that you truly are a child of God. This is what bolsters confidence. And then Peter's, because this is all, there's a whole lot of experience going on on the forging anvil, right? There's a whole lot of experience going on here. Peter ends not by just challenging you to be faithful in your experience, he anchors you in a truth that will give you confidence to get on 
that piece of steel, that piece of iron. Look, look at what he says. I want you to know what I'm challenging you toward is nothing new. I want you to know that everything that I've just said is nothing new. Listen, listen. Concerning this salvation that I'm telling you is being affirmed in you through the forging of your trials. Concerning this salvation, listen, I'm not the first guy to talk about it. The prophets, the prophets, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be, that was to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully thousands of years ago, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. And when, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of the Lord. Verse 12, it was revealed to them. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things Things into which angels long to look. Love this. You want to know why you can endure the forging process? Don't just take my testimonies for it. Don't just take your life experience for it. Take thousands of years of prophetic witness as your guide. Take the word of God itself as objective, as objective truth. Count the hundreds of prophetic prophecies that have announced the suffering Messiah who would come and die on the cross in your place. Count the prophecies about what is to be fulfilled through the forging in your life. This is it. The prophets foretold that Christ would come and suffer on your behalf. They assured that, that we'd have a living hope through him, but they didn't know when it would happen. And Peter wants you to know this. The time is now and you are them. The time is now and you are them. The time is now and we are them. The time for Christ's reign is now. Already, already, not yet, and still to come. The kingdom of God is being built. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. We are them. And this next part completely blows my mind. You want confidence to be forged? You want confidence to endure the trial? You want confidence to know that nothing is wasted and everything is for the glory and purpose of God? Look at verse 12. Speaking of the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Like you. The prophets of old, it was revealed to them, Peter says that they were not serving themselves, but they were actually serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Friends, check this out. How mind-blowing is this? The things the prophets were writing weren't for themselves. Let me say it again. It was to bring assurance to you and me today that we would actually go about participating with the Holy Spirit to build the kingdom of God. Through our forging, we are reproved for his glory that the kingdom of God can go forward. Think about this. Think about the prophets that wrote. Think about what those prophets endured. You were to give me the liberty even to include Moses in the midst of those who wrote prophetic words unto us. Think about, the, think about what Isaiah was enduring. Think about what Jeremiah was enduring. Think about these men who literally, and God's people, who were actually enduring physical exile, physical oppression, fiery furnaces, lions, whatever. Think about all they were enduring. And what does Peter say here? They knew in their heart of hearts, while that word was strength unto them for the day, they knew that ultimately it wasn't for them, it was for you and me. The spiritual exiles of God, those who actually endured no position as exiles, those who actually had experienced no power whatsoever, those, those who had no political permanence, they knew there would be those who were uniquely called by God to be spiritual exiles for which their words were to be applied. Isaiah knew he was writing to you. Jeremiah knew he was writing to me. In the penning of the Pentateuch, the Holy Spirit made known 
how crucial these inerrant words of Scripture were going to be throughout the annals of time. The prophets were serving us. The prophets were serving us, the text says. And the prophets are still serving us. Do you see how? You see how the prophets are still serving us? Look at verse 12. Look, at, look, 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 look. The prophets are still serving us. The prophets are still serving us for their words are still being revealed to us that they are not, they were not serving themselves, but, th- but all of these things are now being announced to you and me through those who preach the good news. The prophet's words are being proclaimed every time the gospel is preached. The good news is proclaimed every time the way of Jesus is made more clear to those who believe. The good news of the prophet is being preached each and every time the Holy Spirit has breathed life into you that you would respond to get back on that anvil. The Spirit of God is using you and me to proclaim the good news of the prophets and the prophet's voice comes off of our lips every time the Holy Spirit empowers you to speak and to act on his behalf. This ought to blow your mind. God shows you. God shows you hollow, stuffed, empty people. He chose me, a hollow, stuffed, empty man. He allowed me to be reborn. He allows me to be refined so that I may now be set ablaze in the midst of my trial so that glory can radiate in, out, and through me to a world that desperately needs it. And here's the thing. Not only is it adorning witness to a watching world, The angels watch you endure a trial and apparently it blows their mind. The angels witness you being reborn and they can hardly grasp it because it's something they'll never experience. For the ones that fell in ages past, that experienced the kind of glory of God will never be redeemed. And so they see, they see an aspect of God's character that completely blows their mind. Your redemption brings about awe and the majestic host. Your refining in and of itself is, an, is, a, is a matter which angels long to peer into. You, our worship, our praise, this institution, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this spiritual reality that is the kingdom, this already not yet concept. What is it? What is it? Are they gathered round? Are they peering upon us now? What does it look like? I don't know. But this reality, how we stay seated, how we don't erupt in praise at this one thought, those who actually reside in the presence of the majesty of God are absolutely amazed that you are sitting here redeemed and forgiven. Your enduring, your forging causes the heavenly hosts to rejoice and burst forth into And so, God, help us to be faithful in this. <laughs> Father, help us to endure that which it is you're calling us to endure. Help us, Lord God, to keep our eyes focused on where they need to be focused. God, help us, remind us of our reborn, our rebirth. Father, remind us that any refining and forging that we're currently going through, Lord God, is ultimately for your glory and, and our good. Father, would you help us to bless your name, to bless your name even through seasons of lament, even through hardship. And Lord God, even if we aren't in a low season today, would we just worship you in the highs, in the lows, in the good and the bad, in the pain-filled and the praise-filled moments. Lord, you are at work in our lives. And so God, we pause here. And we ask your Holy Spirit to bring upon our hearts clarity about what it is you would have us to do and how it is, Lord God, you would want us to respond. 
Friend, if you're here today and you know in your heart of hearts that you've not been, your spirit has not been reborn. The scriptures are abundantly clear. A man named Nicodemus asked Jesus what he needed to, be do, what he needed to do to be saved and he made it very clear to him that we, he needed to be born again. Your spirit which is dead can be made alive. Your scriptures, our scriptures tell us that he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Romans 10. Right now, friend, if you believe in your heart, that Jesus died for your sins and you confess with your mouth that he rose again from the grave, you will be saved. You'll be reborn. And so right where you are, no repeat after me, just in your own words, just tell the Lord that you know you're a sinner and you know that you need to be saved. Tell him you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins and was risen again to give you this eternal life, this rebirth, this rebirth. The scripture says, the old has passed away and behold, a new you has come. All the forging here forward shall be only for his glory and ultimately for your strengthening, friends. Give him praise today for it. Church, give him praise today for the strengthening that is happening in each of us. Give him glory. Give him praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.